Philadelphia Union, San Jose Earth, DC, Los Angeles Galaxy, Beach Pass, Colorado Rapids, Vancouver Whitecaps, Seattle Sounders, Montreal Impact, USA, York Red Bulls, Pitch Pass, your all-access credential to the people that matter in MLS. Here's your host, Greg Roach. Hello once again. Thank you very much for downloading the latest edition of Pitch Pass. And don't forget, you can always go back to old episodes. We had Phil Rollins on last week. He is the president of the expansion team Orlando City. Uh, so, yeah, even though it was recorded last week, he still talks about things that are coming up, like, say, the expansion draft. So don't be afraid to go to PitchPass.com and catch up on all the past episodes. Also, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. If you are listening to this while you're traveling, thank you very much for downloading. Now, why don't you tell some of your family and friends, wherever you're off to, about this show and have them spread the word as well. Let's get a little something going during the holiday season. A lot to look forward to as we get to the weekend. We're into the second leg of the conference finals, Eastern and Western. We'll talk with Kyle Martino of NBCSN. He'll get us all set up for the second legs of those matches. Meanwhile, Los Angeles Galaxy's Robbie Rogers has this to look forward to and also the release of his book. Coming out to play is in stores available now for download through Amazon, through Kindle, however you want to do it. Just make sure you get a hold of this book and read it. And to talk to us about the book and the upcoming conference final featuring Galaxy and Sounders, Robbie Rogers joins us right now. Robbie, how are you, my friends? Good to talk to you again. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you guys? Uh, very good. Very good. I say again because uh, we actually chatted... I don't know May of 2011, so it's it's been a while since we oh, well, yeah. since we've discussed life. Um, you, you went from Maria Shriver in the morning to me in the in the afternoon. It's a big step down, Rob. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so so uh, first off, congratulations on your book coming out to play. It is uh, in in stores today. I actually pre-ordered it, and so I haven't been home yet, so it hasn't come in the mail for me to read. Oh, okay. But I did. I did order it. It's 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 on order. I'm ready to go with it. Awesome. Um, Thank you. Of course, of course. Um, I I kind of want to, and I know you have no recollection of our conversation in 2011, but um, mm-hmm. it, it was a it was a very interesting and important conversation for me, um, mm-hmm. and it became so uh, after you you came out because the first thing I did was I kind of I've kind of cringed, and then I ran back to that to that conversation. And I was like, uh, did I did I say something or do something that could have made you uncomfortable, uh, given the circumstances you were in at that point? And it just yeah. got, it got me thinking: is that was that one of the hardest parts or one of the harder things to go through? Um, yeah, I would say knowing that you're essentially lying to people to hide a secret that that you're just so afraid of. Um, I think that was, you know, one of the hardest parts for sure. And I, I bring that up as somebody in uh, a couple of times I'm going to refer to this, so I want to get it out of the way now. I bring it up as somebody who is biracial, half black and half white, um, grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, and so what what usually happened with me when I was a kid was uh, my friends, I guess, would forget that I was black. And so if they were going to make a comment, they would forget that I also am part of the, the, the slur that they're using to describe other people. And then I would yeah. have to get the look over and, and they would go, oh, but no offense to you, Greg. And I, I would have to kind of chuckle and and accept it. And to me, that was always a hard thing. And that's why I kind of was like, oh, I hope I didn't put him in the situation that I was put in so much as a child. No, I, I, I honestly, I don't remember um, being hurt by anything you said. So, uh, But I, I understood after I came out, and even when I, while I was coming out, that 
you know, a lot of people say things that they don't really mean. It's that pack mentality. They say things that they think people want to hear or trying to be funny and maybe sometimes aren't that sensitive. So I realize that people weren't necessarily homophobic, but just, you know, we're, we're saying things because maybe that's what they thought I wanted to hear or, or their stereotypes that people live up to. And they just expected me to kind of live up to that. Yeah. And it took me a long time to get to the point where, you know, we talk about people and you're right. It is one of those situations where you don't believe that they are racist or homophobic, but they get caught up in, as you said, the pack, pack mentality and, you know, yeah. ignorance is a is a strong word, and people people kind of chafe or or bristle when you, when you call someone or or that person ignorant. But it really yeah. is it's it's a naivete to go. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand what I'm saying and how I'm saying is is hurtful, and because I don't know any better. No, and the same the same guys that said the most awful things in locker rooms that I've grown up in were the same guys that messaged me and called me right when they found out when I came out. So. It is ignorance and uh, being very naive and not just, just kind of being insensitive to, to, you know, larger issues around you, not just the banter in the locker room. Uh, one last story about me, and that would be uh, just uh, I just remember being 10 years old and playing on a baseball team and the entire league was white except for me. And, and I got to a game early one time and two of the kids on the other team were, were there as well. And we were just talking and, and they one of the things that was said was, well, uh, everybody in the league thinks that you're black. But I, I tell them, no, that you're Italian. You're Italian. Right. And I have to and I kind of I kind of chuckled and said, yeah, I'm Italian. And here I am 30 years later. And that's still something that I that I I don't know. It, it eats at me. I'm, I'm embarrassed by I regret. I feel bad that I, I actually said that. And I don't know. Did it get to the point where you, is when you stepped away, that it got to the point where you were just tired of having things like that come up and you had to keep saying or denying who you were? Um, I mean, it got to the point, I would say, like the last six months that I was still playing and planning on coming out and retiring, people would ask me questions like, oh, you're from Los Angeles. Like, the girls there must be amazing. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah, they're amazing, but uh, do you want me to hook you up with some of my friends or whatever? <laughs> so I just, like, I wouldn't lie. I would just be like, yeah, they're great. The girls in LA are great, and I would still say that as a gay man, they're great. But I wouldn't like, I wouldn't go into it if they were like, "Oh, do you have a girlfriend?" It's like, no, and I'd just be like really blunt, like, "No, I don't," because I was so sick of lying and so sick of, you know, creating those stories. Yeah. So I was just like, "All right, I'm over this." And that's what is that when you kind of realized, you know what, I I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I'm yeah. ready to do what I have to do. Yeah, exactly. And I was re- ready to just give up you know, pretty much everything in my life so that I could just kind of start from scratch and just be a, a, a complete person, a normal person. And, and, you know, while I was playing, I was just, I could only really enjoy myself when I was on the field and not even all the time. As I said, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, and I, I don't want to give away stuff in the book, but is it is it basically a journey of you uh, coming out or is it more of a yeah. biography from step-by-step step from birth? I mean, yeah, it starts. It definitely starts when I was young, and from being raised in a very conservative Catholic family, and and starting to realize that there was something different with me, and and uh, I mean, different from my brothers and sisters, at least. And then, uh, you know, getting into soccer and going through all of my relationships with my family and the divorce, and and starting to make my way onto the national team, the youth national team, set up, and going to college and turning pro, and. It's about all that stuff, my whole career and dealing with my sexuality and coming to terms pretty much with myself and finding peace and then coming out to the public and eventually going back to the galaxy. So it just covers everything, you know, from relationships 
to living in London to being back with the galaxy and how that all worked out. And, and it's just, it really covers everything to, to, uh, the point last year when I was done with it. So, um, I don't know. I, I, like I said before, I'm really, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I loved working with Penguin and they did such a great job with everything and the cover and the artwork inside and everything. So I, I was really excited. I've had a great response. I think people have really been able to connect with the book and have enjoyed it. And not just gay men and women, but people from all walks of life have kind of felt alone or different at some point in their life. So, yeah. And I, you know, I, I told you those rambling stories about myself, uh, because I, I did want you to know, hey, you know what? Uh, your story is your story, but my story is on a similar lane, if not in the same lane. And and I don't know, just thinking about your situation really brought home my situation. And I think, yeah. it, like you said, it doesn't matter uh, if you're gay or not gay. You went through a situation where, where something like this happened. You're going to relate to the book. Yeah, and I've, and I've received tons of letters like that from, from straight guys that – I've dealt with different things in my life and felt, you know, they're like, you know, I'm not gay and I'm not even a soccer fan, but I heard about your story, I read about your story, and I really connected with it. So, um, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about because I even have really close friends, that, you know, who would talk to me about certain things that they had to deal with because they knew that I felt the same way about my issue. Let's talk about the, uh, the, 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 the pitch. Let's, let's talk about the action on the field. You guys have a, uh, a huge second leg coming up uh, yeah. against Seattle in Sunday in yeah. Seattle. Um, yeah. Before we get to that, though, I talked to Dax McCarty a couple of years ago right after the trade that sent him to New York and Dwayne De Rosario to D.C. United. And I asked him what it was like because at the time, D. Rowe became the MVP. Meanwhile, Dax was on a team that, that wasn't making the playoffs. And was it hard for him to kind of be known as the, the other guy in this huge trade that helped the team out? You were in a similar situation when, when yeah. you were traded with Mike McGee, who, who then promptly went to Chicago and won the MVP. Has this season kind of been... I don't want to say vindication, but it has has it kind of been like, hey, dude, it was it was a fair trade, and this is why. No, I don't think of it that way because you know I I spoke to Bruce, and and to be honest, Bruce wouldn't have traded Mike if Mike didn't want to go back home to Chicago. So, you know, it's it's fairly different. What this year has been for me is at least to prove to myself and prove to people that I'm still a great soccer player. You know, so I, I, I regardless of the trade, I don't really compare. You know who's more important for what team because you know we'd love to have Mike on our team he's an amazing player but uh, I've been able to contribute in a big way on the team and obviously sign your contract with the Galaxy and and uh, we're competing for a championship so uh, I'd like to say that I'm a small part of, of a team that has a bunch of great players but um, you know I, I last year yes there were times where I felt like oh gosh like people are talking so much about this trade yeah even though I know that it's that this trade would have happened regardless just because I know how much Mike wanted to go home and be near his family and I wanted to come home and be near my family. So it was more, uh, it was a decision totally based off soccer, but um, I'm happy that now I've nailed proof that I am a good soccer player and, and that, you know, I uh, can contribute because that's the reason why I play soccer. Walk me through the, the your move from winger to left back and, and your thoughts when that idea was first broached with you. Uh, yeah, I was, just, I, was, I was coming back from an injury, and uh, we had a bunch of injuries on my team. So Bruce was like, you know, I'm going to try you at, at left back because, you know, you're athletic and you can get forward, and I think you can help our team. So I traded for about two weeks 
a week and a half, two weeks. I played a few games with the reserve team, and then uh, my first game, I think it was, who was it against? Maybe um, Chivas, or I'm not quite sure who. But uh, kind of haven't looked back since then. Just been moving forward, played a bunch of games. I looked back. I've really enjoyed myself. I, I've enjoyed playing in the in the system that we play in, and and obviously our defense and has had great success this year. I think we were the were the best defense in the MLS statistically, but also I just think people don't like to play against us. So, um, you know, I, I've strangely I've actually had a pretty smooth transition. I never really <laughs> well, expected it, but I've enjoyed it. And that's why I asked because you know if if it's a person and they they're asked to move. Like, I, I mean, the first thing I think to myself is, wait a second, you know, I, I was on a World Cup, I was men's national team member as a winger, you're asking me to move, uh, was there any... Yeah, I, was, I was more excited, I don't know why, I was just, I I thought of it as a new challenge, I thought of it as, you know, I can actually, I really think I can play well this position. Uh, when I was the national team, Bob sometimes in training would like put me there at left back, and so I really enjoyed it then in training, and and. Just kind of took on the challenge. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think of it as a native way or like, oh, but I should be playing midfield. I never really had that kind of mentality for whatever reason. I'm not sure, but um, I'm happy that Bruce, you know, came to me that day and asked me and has worked with me and and you know, going over video and all the tactical stuff and and you know, I'm still very much. I mean, I've only played this position for for less than a year, obviously, so I'm still learning a lot. But I think this is a great position for me moving forward and great for my career. Yeah, and you know putting you back on the map as far as the national team is concerned, would you have ever thought, you know what, I can get back in the picture as a defender? Um, No, I never thought about it. (laughs) To be honest, there's so many things I've never thought of that actually happened. I never thought I would come out at some point. I never thought I would come out and then continue to play soccer or go back. Never thought I'd play left back. And, um, you know, to be honest, when I came back to the Galaxy, I didn't know how long I would play. And now I signed a new contract. So, there's so many different things that um, I didn't, you know, plan or think of, and and to be with the Nash team at this point, I, I'm not thinking about that much. I think there's just so much to focus on with the Galaxy, but of course, I'd love some point to to get a chance to get a shot to play with the Nash team. I don't know if that'll ever happen. I haven't spoken to Jurgen for a long time, but um, you know, you never know. We'll see. You know, we ask athletes if they if they have a, a a context or an appreciation of of what they're doing when they're in the moment, and a lot of them say they do. And they they mention the fact that the the athlete's lifespan or their 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 playing career is so short uh, that they do treasure it. Do you do you feel like you would have even more of an appreciation for what you're doing now, having walked away and now come back and probably thinking to yourself, well, once I come out, I'm probably not going to be able to play anymore. Um. There's, I, I, it's tough for me to appreciate things in the moment. I'm not, like, I'm not good at that. It's one of my flaws. But um, there are moments when my family's at the stadium and we've just won, and I come out of the changing room and I see them and I remember, you know, everything that I've been through, just on a personal level. And to be totally open with them and have them, you know, love me so much and be at the stadium watching the game, those are the moments where I'm like, say to my mom, like, gosh, like it's been quite an adventure and it's pretty amazing that grandma and grandpa and you know all the kids are all here at the game right now those are the moments that i kind of take in but um you know when it comes to like whether our team's doing well or that kind of success to winning the let's say the must cup stuff like that I'm, I'm i'm always thinking of what's next which is i think kind of a athlete mentality and sometimes i think we need to enjoy the moment but it's really difficult for a lot of us so you come out uh universally you're embraced you sign a new contract you are in the playoffs on your way, hopefully, to an MLS Cup. Uh, would this be considered, if if you guys do win, the greatest year in the life of Robbie Rogers? 
Um, that's a good question. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I mean, I guess to this, I, I don't know. There, it's a really good question. I think to this day, I mean, to this this year would probably be, you know, definitely one of the the best years for for me in my career. Uh, but there's so many other sides to life, you know, personal life. Just me coming out was probably the greatest feeling, and was just something I don't know how to explain it. I think. It's kind of difficult to explain to someone unless they had to come out. Yeah. It's, it's it's a strange feeling when you live for 25 years and hide something and are so afraid of it that it gives you like like sickness, like physical pain. So, you know, that was pretty amazing on a personal level. But yeah, I mean, career-wise, this year with the book, with you know, working with ABC Universal on TV show, with obviously soccer the new contract and how well our team has done, um, it's been an amazing year, and I feel extremely blessed. I hope. I mean, I pray that I have other years where career-wise I have years like this, but, um, you know, I've been very lucky this year. I have to ask you before I let you go, when we talked before, the website was therobbyrogers.com. I looked at today, and it's just robbyrogers.com. How'd you, how'd you grab that URL, my friend? Well, it's it's right now. You know, I have I have, like, some really good friends that are, like, crazy about this stuff. Like, oh, you got to change your website. you got to do this. you got to do this. And they're the ones that also, like, update stuff and are absolutely amazing but um they wanted to change it to robbie h rogers because robbie rogers.com the guy like didn't want to sell it to me so i was like all right buddy well i'm not you know i don't i don't care that much you will not so, hold my name ransom i'll move on i know it's ridiculous i was like what are you i don't even know what he's doing on there it's been like weird on it Seriously? anyways um so they changed it and they updated it and all that stuff but um I don't know. I I guess now that I'm working on a book, I should probably be on it more and posting more stuff, but I just get a little bit lazy. No, it's beautifully laid out. And to go back yeah. to our 2011 conversation, the the only thing that I, I kind of was like, oh, boy, uh, was when I said to you that your website is geared towards women because it's all just hot pictures of you on there. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's funny. But my new one isn't – I don't know. Is my new one like that? No. I think it's short. Yeah, it's, I feel I feel like the new one is a little more uh, fashionable rather than yeah. beefcake e. Well, the, my friends are all like fashion dudes that that changed it, so that's probably why. There you go, and it, so it, it definitely comes across. Coming out to play is the name of the book. It is in bookstores and available on Amazon now. Um, it'll make a great stocking stuffer for the holidays. Although Robbie, I I was on RobbieRogers.com and I saw your book signing schedule. What's up with the No East Coast signings? I know it's kind of weird, huh? I'm not in charge of any of that stuff. I know I have like a big press, two press days in New York, um, but I think maybe things were just crammed in because of, uh, you know, hopefully we go to the MLS Cup final and then yes. have that and go to London and all these other places. I think I don't know. I'm not sure. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to pick that bone with Penguin. Yeah, and, and as a as a former Terp, I, I would have thought there would have been a DC date for a book signing. I mean, yeah, DC, and there should be like a West Village day. Yes, <laughs> of course there should be. Jeez, I know. I know. I need to speak to Penguin about that. RobbieRogers.com. If you want to make sure you, you you find out when the new signings take place, Robbie. Again, thank you very much for sharing your story. And um, again, it, it, it touched me uh, as a, as a straight man. So I, I just I can't recommend the book enough and I, I appreciate you taking some time to talk about it thank you so much again it's coming out to play 
is the name of Robbie's book. It is available now. At uh, Robbie Rogers, if you would like to follow him on Twitter, we gave you the website as well. He's on a whirlwind to promote the book and also getting ready for the upcoming match this weekend. We really appreciate him giving some time and listening to my stories of me as a child. <laughs> Let's focus now on pitch stuff. Well, Mostly pitch stuff. I apparently, uh, Kyle Martino was at the Justin Timberlake concert last night in Los Angeles. He is from NBCSN, and his real job is getting us ready for the second legs of the Eastern and Western Conference Finals happening this weekend. Kyle, how are you, man? What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. Uh, well, first, Kyle, how was uh, how was JT? Uh, it was fun. It was a really good time, but we realized how old and late we are. <laughs> with, like, 30 minutes to go, we, we split to make sure that we could relieve our babysitter. <laughs> How how does it usually break down? Because for me, I love Justin Timberlake, but I always feel like you're not supposed to love Justin Timberlake as a guy in his 30s and 40s. So when my wife says, let's go see Justin Timberlake, I kind of stomp my feet, and then in the corner I go, yes, all right. Yeah, I basically just accepted the fact that um, I was it was going to be a little awkward, and I was just going to let it go. <laughs> So we just had Robbie Rogers on, and uh, we were talking about his book. And um, you know, I, I don't know if it's really his his place to provide perspective on his role in the in the sports landscape. But I will ask you, uh, I, I don't know. To me, and maybe this is because I'm an MLS fan, and and maybe I'm a little biased, or maybe I'm not running in the wrong circles, if you will. But it it feels like it's not a big deal. Uh, that Robbie Rogers is a homosexual and is playing professional soccer. Whereas when Jason Collins always checked in last season, it was always, that was the first thing that was mentioned. I feel like it never comes up with Robbie Rogers. And I, to me, that's a good thing. Yeah. The best thing is that the most, most of the conversation about Robbie Rogers is about him playing left back and it being an uncomfortable position and how good he's playing that position. I mean, that. That's what uh, he, he hoped for. That's what we all hoped for is very quickly it wouldn't be about an openly gay athlete in the locker room. How will the players respond? How will the league respond? How will teams respond? Um, very quickly it got to is Robbie Rogers a good soccer player and how important is he to the Galaxy as a soccer player? And the, the speed in which it got to that it is really promising and and um, and, and hopeful that that the the equality and the tolerance can can finally show up in a super macho realm of sports, and hopefully society can take some cues on an area that um, you know obviously young kids have their role models and young kids look up to professional athletes, and you know many times I, I want to say don't look up to, to athletes. It's not great to have you know, them as, as role models to live your life. It's great to have them as role models to try and pull off a move or catch a pass or hit a baseball. Um, but Robbie Rogers is the type of guy where I'd say, yes, that's absolutely a role model for um, for young gay athletes who are struggling with um, this, not being able to be themselves and not feeling comfortable being themselves and all of the troubles and all of the difficulties of being a young kid to begin with and put on top of that a young kid that, that has to hide something that, that is so important in their life and, and is the person they are. Robbie Rogers has inspired many um, and my, my times getting to talk with them and talk with his interaction with young gay athletes, um, you know, gay, lesbian, um, bisexual, transgender, all of these, all of these young athletes who need a role model that they can relate to and look up to. 
now young gay athletes have Robbie Rogers and they had Jason Collins, and I hope that that ends up being just that initial uh, tough issue of hoping a couple of brave athletes would come out and be the Mavericks and, and, and blaze a trail for gay athletes behind them. And then sooner or later, as as athletes come out, it's not about, oh, he was gay. It's, uh, it's oh, okay, no big deal. Yeah. You know, is he a good wide receiver? Is he a good point guard? Is, is he a good left back? So as we transition to on the pitch, as we get ready for the second legs of the conference finals, um, of the two matches, who who do you feel has the the – the better chance to turn it around. I'm, I'm obviously both teams uh, who are going into the second legs down a goal uh, have a chance, but who do you feel has the better opportunity to turn this around? Yeah, that's, um, you know, that's, that's a tough one because um, you, you'd, you'd probably say that, that Seattle has a better chance of turning it around because of that atmosphere. Yeah. Um, because of maybe Ozzy Alonso is going to be back at that point. And when, when it was the end of the season for the Supporter Shield and they were faced with the same scenario of having to take down the Galaxy, it probably wasn't their best performance, and they would admit that. But at the end of the day, they got the better of L.A. when it counted, when they, when they needed to secure the Supporter Shield. And so, you know, they have recent history to suggest that they'd be able to do that again. It all hinges so much on Ozzy Alonso being healthy. I mean, he is the first name in that starting 11 for me week in and week out. If you, if you move over to the Eastern Conference situation for New York, in the past I would have said, you know, New York doesn't have the heart to be able to, to come back in the series. You know, anytime there was adversity um, before, the chemistry wasn't right in the team. They, they didn't have the backbone. And all the pressure on the New York franchise and all of the different distractions just caused them to fold. I don't think that's the case at all with this current incarnation. I think that they're a very strong side who have proved already in the playoffs that they can come back uh, from being down. They can deal with adversity. The, the one thing you wonder is, talking about Alonzo coming back, well, they're not going to have Bradley Wright Phillips coming back. Uh, they're going to they're, they're gonna miss him um, for uh, the yellow card suspension. And... Um, you know, it becomes, of course, 27 goals during the regular season. You know, he, he's, he's scored three goals in three games coming into this, this past game. Um, so losing him is absolutely massive. And Thierry Henry on that surface, everyone's made a big deal out of it because he's never played on it before. I, I think that one really boils down to Thierry Henry uh, just absolutely taking over the series and, and showing why he's – thought of as one of the best players to ever play the game and still has many of the qualities he's had during his entire career and maybe throw Tim Cahill or, or Peggy Lillian up top and hope they don't skip a beat. But um, long-winded answer to your question that I think Seattle has a better chance than uh, New York does. Okay, so Lynn, let's focus on Seattle and Los Angeles then. It, it's funny, we, we talked about all the firepower that both teams possess and We've seen it kind of came down in that first match. It came down to your midfield destroyer. Uh, Galaxy had Janino. The the Sounders didn't have Alonzo. It, it's funny because without the those big names, that's what all we were focused on. And, and look what it came down to. Is was it just a matter of of the game plan and and having Janino that that helped them shut down the the attack of Sounders? Yeah, I mean, I think the Galaxy. Um... I think they'll look at it as a good performance, one in which they frustrated 
uh, Seattle. I mean, there were, there were moments where they did break open, and, and, and Obafemi Martins and Clint Dempsey got some good looks, and Pinedo came up with some great saves. Um, I, I look at it as, um, you know, the LA Galaxy got a job done, but probably not the job done. You know, I, I, think, it, I think they had an opportunity to really break this thing open. We saw what happened against Real Salt Lake, and I didn't expect Seattle to uh, – to come in and, and get bossed around nearly as much as Real Salt Lake did. But I think L.A. wanted a, a, a better cushion going into Seattle, yeah. knowing what's happened there recently. So as, as great as it is to have the, the 1-0 advantage, uh, to make sure that they didn't concede an away goal, which is huge, the, the Galaxy are, are definitely lamenting missed opportunities and um, know that they didn't put themselves in as strong of a position as they probably could have based on the chances they created in that game. And even though it isn't a really a job done, and if you're pro- if you're Seattle, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, that's fine. You know, we lost one nothing there. We'll come back and handle the business at home. Um, one goal against or for Los Angeles kind of puts a cherry on top of this this match. I feel like, um, and that's got to be something that that's worrisome if you're Seattle. Yeah, we've seen it during this during this playoffs. Um, you know, I, I'm I wasn't I was sort of on the fence a little bit. I, I had read so many articles and have seen so many debates on away goals and Champions League or different tournaments internationally that, that that some people say it doesn't really make it more entertaining. It actually takes the the whole the the home team's aggression and, and desire to attack, and yes, it gives a little bit of that to the away team. But then the home team inherits some of the conservative nature that away teams used to travel in with. But I don't think that's been the case. I think we've seen in the playoffs the fear of a of a um, away goal for the home team has made them conservative, but not so conservative that they shut things down. Because you have to go out. You have to get the business done at home. And it's that, that tough balance like we saw in the D.C. Uh, New York series where in the second leg, you know, D.C., were, were really pushing for the goal and really trying to open themselves up. And, and we're all over New York. And New York were completely complacent to sit back and, and, and counterattack. And finally, as D.C. got their first goal and started to really push and risk things, that's when they, they exposed themselves to that devastating away goal that New York was able to get from Peggy Louie-Dula. And it's going to be the same for Seattle. I expect them to be relatively conservative at the beginning of this game. And and let let the galaxy try and gain in confidence and have that false sense of security that they can start moving forward and opening up gaps. And that um, you know, sounds it sounds kind of crazy, and and you know people will disagree. But even with that crowd and even at home, they will look like the away team at times, trying to get the galaxy to sort of open up. Um, because we've seen in the past there was that thrashing at Century Link. When Seattle open up the game and try to go toe-to-toe with L.A., if L.A.'s on their game, Landon Donovan a hat-trick against Real Salt Lake, finally showing why he's considered the best playoff player of all time. Uh, if you open up and go toe-to-toe, there are weapons in that L.A. Galaxy team, if they're given the space, they're going to get that crucial, devastating away goal yeah. if they don't uh, have that sort of conservative balance at the beginning. Will you be in New England this weekend for the match? I will. I'm going to be in New England freezing and having my <laughs> putting on my my hipster homeless hat that, uh, that everyone loved from the uh 
from the uh, Seattle game. So I'm bringing it back out of the closet, dusting it off, and, and getting it on for New England. It's hard for me to say as a D.C. United fan, but uh, everything I saw and, and read on Twitter about the atmosphere uh, at Red Bull Arena was that it was just incredible. And, and I do agree with the sentiment that it's important that that is a kind of a centerpiece or a showpiece in the league uh, as far as stadium is concerned and then the atmosphere to match. What was it like there uh, for that match? It was fantastic. It was. It, I, I turned to the production team and actually saw Don Garber and said the same thing to him right after the game. It was, it was the best atmosphere I've ever seen at Red Bull Arena. And, um, you know, there's definitely games that, that – uh, that are up there that, that I, I wasn't at, that I heard had terrific environments. But this one was the best I had seen. It was packed, every seat taken. You hear the words, you hear them say sell out, all, um, sold out all the time. Yeah. But, you know, you see all these seats open and you wonder, you know, where those people are if it's sold out. Um, but this was sold out completely. Right from the beginning, the fans were involved. There was a buzz. There was an energy before the game that I hadn't experienced at that arena before. And, um, you know, the traveling uh, Revolution fans, yeah. you have to give them a lot of credit. I mean, they showed up with 20-some-odd buses, 1,200 people, and New York, uh, the Red Bulls are going to do the exact same for the second leg, so expect that whole lower bowl, bowl to be filled at New England and have uh, some some pretty vocal uh, Red Bull supporters there trying to help their team turn the tide. You know, and uh, selfishly, I, I hang my hat on that as an Eastern Conference guy. Uh, we hear so much about how, how good the Western Conference is and how much better it is in the Eastern Conference. To me, that's the X factor. That's the wild card. I know they can do that in Cascadia because of the distance, but you have such a, a clump of teams that are so close together. You know, you can't, you can't, you couldn't have a, a Real Salt Lake versus LA Galaxy where you've got a thousand Salt Lake fans in Los Angeles, but you can do that in DC, in Philly, in New York, and in Boston, and maybe even Toronto and Montreal if you want to stretch it out a little bit. And I feel like that's something that, that is only going to grow as the league gets a little older. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really just the, the, the thing that makes you so happy. And, like, I, I'm a soccer fan. I'm an MLS fan. I'm a U.S. soccer fan, uh, NASL and USL Pro, and all of the things that are going on to build the game in this country. But when you see atmospheres, and it's not only in MLS, you, you, you see them and 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 definitely the teams in Orlando that are coming into the league, but also um, some of the teams in, in the lower leagues that have these incredible supporters groups that um, that really unify and and um, and mobilize this soccer fan base that's that's rampant, that's huge in this country, and and gives you that sense of pride that there's competition going on on the field. But there's also competition going on in the stands, and it's one of the beauties of European um, and international soccer is to get that sort of competition extending from uh, the inside the lines out to the stadium and the, and the fans, and then bouncing off the fans and coming right back to those players. It's such a it's such an organic relationship, and um, to, to to witness it in person. And to have been in love with this game as long as I have and to see European and South American type environments in our own country, it just makes you, I mean, it makes you smile. It makes you really excited for the future and still have some growing to do, still have a long way to go. But our, our fan base is as intelligent as they've ever been when it comes to soccer. They are as unified as it's ever been when it comes to um, the organization of these supporters groups. And um, they're as loud as they've ever been in the stadium, which you can hear on the on the TV when you're at home in your living room. And when you're there, you can really hear it. I'm glad you kind of blew up the narrative of 
of Thierry Henry playing on turf. I, I, I feel like that's overblown. I feel like he's going to come and he's going to play and he's up for a big game and he's going to be uh, he's going to be the, the focal point of the Red Bull attack. So does that put the onus or the most pressure on a guy like Tim Cahill where you say, all right, well, they don't have Bradley Wright Phillips, but they're just going to throw on Tim Cahill and everything will be fine. And we don't know if that's going to be the case. And thus doesn't make doesn't that make him the kind of guy that you're going to be looking at as the wild card for this match? Well, absolutely. I mean, obviously, his experience in his career uh, and having that DP title, he, he's someone that regardless of it, whether he's been a starter or not, when he's on the field, you expect big things from him, and this game is, is no different. Um, you know, it was a really bold move by Mike Petke to, to keep him out of the lineup and put Peggy Luindula in that sort of attacking midfield spot, but it completely paid off. Yeah, Peggy Luindula has been outstanding, and Tim Cahill um, has been frustrated. And, and, and Mike Pecky told us last week that Tim Cahill, he's upset, and he should be. And, um, you know, Mike Pecky said that he'd be surprised and upset if Tim Cahill wasn't. And... Now you have a player who, who has an opportunity to start and make a difference, and we're assuming, but I, I think there's, there's no doubt that he, he, he joins the 11. And now, now Tim Cahill has an opportunity to make a huge statement to say, I should have been starting this whole time, and um, he's an incredibly competitive person. The height of the occasion will be something he's seen throughout his career many times, and he will be absolutely up for the challenge. So, um, yeah, all eyes definitely are going to be on how Tim Cahill can, uh, can, can make sure that the quality doesn't drop when they lose their leading goal scorer. What's the way to unlock New England? They, they felt like a juggernaut the last month of the season, especially now with Jermaine Jones in the fold. Um, what, what is the way to beat them? If, if you're Mike Petke, what are you game planning to do to unlock them? You know, Tim Cahill's uh, kind of going back to him is an interesting piece. So that's one way you can unlock him because – uh, if, if New England approaches this game like they have in the past um, and like they have most of the season and like they did at Red Bull Arena, you expect them to come high press early, um, even though they've got two away goals and a goal advantage. Much like the Columbus series when they absolutely just went after Columbus in Columbus, I expect them to come back home and, 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 and high press and try to disrupt and win the ball on the offensive side of the field and, and, and get an early goal. It's going to be up to New York to try and break that down and try and try and keep the ball on the surface, of course. But at moments where they try to go a little direct and, and, and skip their midfield and play out of that pressure, Tim Cahill is absolutely outstanding in the air. And there were a couple moments early on in the first leg match at Red Bull Arena where New York played direct and got a flick on and got in and, and, and got some good early chances against the run of play. Um, against New England. So the, the real key is to, in moments where maybe it doesn't make sense to try to build out of the back and they're under pressure, go direct to Tim Cahill and, and let him show his aerial prowess and his presence and, and try to win the second ball and, um, and, and try, to, try to defeat one of New England's most effective strategies of high pressure by, by just playing around it. You know, we get to the point of Thanksgiving – and our November mustaches are in. Uh, when we first do that shave at the beginning of November, we have that exhilaration of I'm about to do something different. When the, when the fuzz starts to come in, it's kind of exciting. But we reach now, family pictures. You got the wife asking, is it, is it past November yet? Kyle, where are you in your November mustache life cycle right now? 
I'm, I, it just terrifies me every day I wake up. It's like Groundhog's Day. I, I feel like I can't escape it. And the, the scariest thing is my three-month-old child, you know, she, it's at a, a very crucial part of her development where she thinks this is actually what that looks like. So I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to, to sort of re, reintroduce myself to my child December 1st. The only good thing is you will have a warm upper lip this weekend in New England. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's the positive. Uh, two, two inches of my face. Kyle Martino, thanks, man, and uh, have fun this weekend. Enjoy it. For more show information, go to pitchpass.com.